I already liked you, Max. From the very first time I heard you laugh. Yuck. Gummy bears bouncing here and there and everywhere. High invention that's beyond compare. They are the gummy bears. Welcome back to Disney Marvels for week of September 6, 2020. This is episode 100. Yes, we've gone triple digits. Disney Marvels, the show about Disney, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Muppets, Pixar, 20th Century, the parks, and much, much more. If it has to do with Disney, it's fair game. I'm your host, Matthew Graken. Again, folks, thank you. Thank you so much for making this 100th episode possible. Um, this is a big one, so it is a two-parter. And being that's also not only our 100th episode, but the 30th anniversary of the Disney afternoon, I have two special guests. One's going to be this week. One's going to be next week for your for you to hear about the Disney Afternoon and its creation. And not just Disney Afternoon, but Disney television animation and a lot of the stuff that went on that most of us probably were not realizing how this all came about. In sh classic shows, now that we think back to Gummy Bears and DuckTales and, and stuff like that. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week and next week's episodes about the Disney afternoon for our 100th episode, our centennial episode celebration. We'll be back after a few messages from our friends and sponsors. Well, hello there. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the Disney Marvels podcast. If you have a little bit of free time and you'd like to check out something a little bit different, I encourage you to listen to the chat Disney podcast. My name is Mercedes and I am one half of the Chat Disney podcast. Myself and my friend Tash are both based in the UK and we give a female British view on all things Disney from parks, movies and even more. Check out the Chat Disney podcast at chatdisney.co.uk. And now on with the show. Many of us around a certain age will remember a time on television when you'd come home from school and you would instantly put on the TV to what was affectionately known as the Disney Afternoon. These were shows that would set the tone for Disney television for decades to come. Shows like Gummy Bears, DuckTales, Goof Troops, Tailspin. The list goes on. And the shows were fantastic. And for that time, it, it was kind of, well, must-see TV before streaming. Kind of a strange thing, that, you know, nowadays to imagine a world without streaming. Someone that was so involved in that, and you could almost say that he helped really form Disney television animation, Jim Megan uh, is here with me today to discuss some of the stuff that went on behind the scenes. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you for so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. So, I want to start. Um, first of all, as a fan and from, let's say, most of the fans, thank you. 
thank you for your involvement in in all the productions that you did while you were at Disney. Um, it, it really helps sh- shape adolescence for so many people. Yeah, it's uh, believe me. And at the time, uh, I don't think we had any sense of what we were doing other than we were doing our jobs. But it's funny that I go to conventions now and people say, oh, thank you. You raised me. You were my babysitter. And I say, well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the check is in the mail. Uh, exactly. But let's go back a little bit. Okay. When you were growing up. Uh, from my understanding, you grew up in Detroit? Correct. Uh, Dearborn, actually, which is a suburb of Detroit. Okay. Well, still the Motor City area. It is. What were your interests growing up? Oh, golly. I was just one of those kids who jumped from hobby to hobby to hobby, and I would go at it full blast for about four days and then switch to another hobby. <laughs> but um, like I, I always thought I want to get into entertainment somehow, whether that's performing or writing or whatever so that kind of has been with me for a long time okay so the the stage was set early oh yeah my parents actually uh, forgive me because i'm cutting cutting you off here but both my parents were professional dancers my mom danced with the detroit civic light opera my dad uh taught uh, tumbling and and ballroom dancing they eventually owned two dance schools in dearborn so I grew up in a dance school. <laughs> <laughs> and you did take, take up the family business. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't take up the family business. Well, that just, so, so the performing of some sort or, um, like you said, entertainment was kind of the building blocks were there at a young, an early, early age. Yes. indirectly from your parents. Yeah, I'd say so. And then Did you hear that? <laughs> I heard something. It was a fireworks. Oh, well, wow. You know, it is only, you know, it's August. It's close enough to 4th of July. Yeah, exactly. And around here, fireworks were going off three, at least three, four weeks after the 4th of July, too. Yeah. People were still setting off fireworks. So, how did you end up at the Disney Company? That's a really good question. Um, I wanted very badly to somehow work in uh, in entertainment, which you know the way things are laid out, at least back then, it was like uh, you got to be in New York if you want to do soap operas, and you have to be in California if you want to do television and movies. And I was working. Uh, I just gotten out of the military. I was in the Navy. Uh, working at the Pentagon, and I thought, how am I going to get my sorry butt all the way out to California? Go and... Navy, beat Army. <laughs> exactly. And uh, and I actually knew someone who was working uh, at Disneyland at the time, and he said, why don't you send a sample over of of your writing? I said, mm, golly, oh, okay. I didn't know what a script was supposed to look like. I'd never read a professional script. And um, I wrote up this thing. It was horribly laid out, single-spaced, crammed together. And uh, But still, um, I thought, well, maybe they'll like it. And they did. So, um, the, you know, I got, I got the word that the head of the uh, 
Walt Disney Music Company, his name was Merrill Dean, uh, wanted to interview me for this uh, position as a record producer. And um, I said, oh, okay, well, my, my then wife, my first wife was still teaching. I said, she gets off in a week, we could drive out then, you know? <laughs> and we drove across country, uh, I got in Sunday night, I uh, walked in the door Monday morning, had my interview, and I was working that afternoon, and I wasn't officially on the payroll till the next day. <laughs> oh, geez. So they squeezed the whole day out of me. But anyway, um, that's, Disney that's would how never. it came about. Well, it <laughs> didn't hurt that I had uh, written and produced and directed and acted in um, these uh, little radio uh comedies in college that were spoofs on the old radio shows mm-hmm. and i had written five of those and um when i did children's records it was the same process which was you know write the script record the actors doing the dialogue add the sound effects and the music later and then put it all together into you know a finished package so when they saw that that's what i was doing in college they said Okay, do that now with these little golden books. We have a deal to do 24 little golden books as a book and record deal. Okay. Wow. (laughs) I have never been in a professional studio before. I've never worked with professional actors. This is going to be horrible. Yay. (laughs) And um, what did I get myself into? Yeah, exactly. But I couldn't wait to start. I mean, I was just really, really excited. Um. And it turned out, I didn't know it at the time, it turned out that it was supposed to be just this little, you know, I think two-month gig. And then, bye, Jim, go home. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, um, and fortunately, oh, we got five more to do over here. Oh, we have a new movie coming out called The Rescuers. We need that done. Oh, the Mickey Mouse Club's good. And uh, I became a full-time at that point. So. So yeah, so what were some of the albums you did, you worked on? You just mentioned the Rescuers. Um, yeah, were, were these just like the audio productions of them, or no? That's that's a great question. Um, when a new movie would come out, and I'll just I'll use Rescuers as the example, uh, we would put out an album of all the music cues uh, from that um, production. We would put out an album that was basically the soundtrack of the movie, but you know, cut down to about a half hour with mm-hmm. the narration tying together the different scenes, but they were the original actors' voices. And then I would, I don't even have one here, <laughs> to these little book and records. Ah, uh, you've got one. Oh, oh, there, yes, there, you've got a great big disc. I would do these little 24-page uh, LLPs, little long playing records, mm-hmm. and uh, they would run about mm, 10 to 12 minutes, and I had 24-page book inside, and... My job was to record it, produce it, get it out there. Oh, so. wow. Wow. Um, I, I remember growing up and uh, taking trips in my family's station wagon and having, it wasn't the LPs. It was audio cassette versions of such things, and it would follow along in the book. Yes. Um, I, I rescued one of I remember that one very well. Uh, some of the ones from Song of the South, Peter Pan. Um, it's a small world, actually. Even even that there was never a movie. They actually, I think they did a uh, they yes. did a uh, production of that, and, and I do remember those well. Okay. Um, okay. So we're talking about the album. 
You said you were listening to uh, bookend cassettes, which of course was the next step up from the bookend seven-inch record. Right. Yeah. The uh, the um, the cassettes, the little red cassettes with the the little books. And I, re- I remember having several of them. I think I still have a couple of the books upstairs. I and um, I've read one or two of them to to my kids. Don't know if I still have the audio cassettes anymore. I might have gotten rid of those long time ago. But uh, they they were so fantastically done, and it I feel like it paved the way to audiobooks how they're done nowadays. Uh huh. Um. Where you know, I listened to some of the audiobooks from uh, either Jamf- Jovanovich or um, the Harry Potter ones, with the the score in the background and just the way that the narration is done. Now, usually they use like a single person versus some uh, multiple people, but the uh, the production value is very reminiscent of what you were doing. Mm-hmm. This is what back in the the seventies. Yes. Uh huh. So in so you did that for a while. Right. And then how did you get into animated television? Oh, well, that's a good question, too. Um, I produced um, records for kids at Walt Disney Music Company for eight years. And that wasn't just Disney properties. We also kind of was the catch-all, you know, big net where uh, we would get... Um, other people's properties like Peanuts, Garfield, Star Trek, Star Wars, Black Stallion, all kinds of stuff. Wow. So it, it kept me kind of busy. And um, and uh, Rankin Bass, all of those things. And so I, I did those for about eight years and finally got to the point where it's like, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. I've kind of done everything. And just about that time, a lot of people don't know this, but... Disney was almost bought out uh, by some investors who yes. were going to uh, buy up the company and sell it off. And it was called Green Mail at the time. And they were going to basically buy Disney, tear it apart, and sell it off all the pieces, which meant we'd all be fired, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a stressful period in the, in the early 80s. And then along came uh, these... I think they were brothers out of Texas, the Bass brothers. And they um, they said, we will save you. And they did. They jumped in and they bought up all the stock or whatever it was that they do. I'm not a business person. And they said, what we want is for there to be someone running the company who really knows how to run a movie studio. So they brought in Michael Eisner mm-hmm. and he brought in Frank Wells as the financial guy and Eventually, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg came in, and we got this whole influx of, of new uh, talent, you know, that was running the studio. And I thought, oh, well, that's good. I, at least I get to keep my job, you know. And um, lo and behold, I had produced a record that sold three million copies. It was called Mickey Mouse Disco. It was a huge success yes. for, for the music company. And I think... Uh, Eisner said, I want to have the most creative people come over to my house and I want to tell you what my big plans are for the Disney company now that I'm taking over. And this was like practically the first weekend that he was there. And I remember getting in my car and driving up from the valley to Bel Air 
up in the mansions in the hills there and going to his house and thinking, yikes, there's a gated, you know, a gated community and, and a big lawn. And wow, this is really neat. And I walked, in, I walked in the, uh, the kitchen, the sort of back door and saw his, I think he had two boys sitting there watching TV, eating cereal, you know, and I thought, Hey, he's a human being. You know, he's got kids. That's that's a good sign. So mm. I, I sat in his living room, and there must have been mm, eight of us, I think. And uh, he laid out this plan. He wanted to do this new. He wanted to start a new division called Walt Disney Television Animation. And I thought, oh, cool. You know. And he said we should do this and we should do that. And his background, I think, was with ABC children's programming at one time. Yes. And um, and he said, so I, I want ideas about what kind of shows we can pitch to the networks. So I said, mm, okay, uh, what am I doing here? I'm just a record producer. And he said, my one of my kids was at camp, and he came back and he said, I tried this new candy called gummy bears, and I just think that's a cool name. And I don't know why he looked at me because he didn't know me from anyone. And he said, make me a show called gummy bears. And I said. Okay, sounds great, <laughs> you know. And then afterward, we all kind of went to a coffee shop and said, "That guy's wacky. Why would you do a show about characters that get eaten? You know, it doesn't make any sense." So we figured, you know, he, he's a busy man. He's got lots on his plate. Let's just let this thing die. And I get a call about two weeks later, and it says, "Hello, uh, this is Michael Eisner's office. He would like to talk to you." What? And sure enough, he gets on the phone and he says. How's my show coming along? I said, oh, I'm typing it right now. It's fantastic. <laughs> I hadn't done anything. So that's what happened is we ended up developing two shows. One was called The Wuzzles, which was actually a property uh, from Hasbro that overlapped onto an idea we had called Jumble Island, where there were two of each animal in one character. Yes. So we ended up making a deal with Hasbro to do the Wuzzles as a show. And then we had this other show called The Gummy Bears. And we went around to the three networks with our two properties. And we sold Wuzzles to CBS. We sold Gummy Bears to NBC. And when it was time to go to ABC, we kind of went, we ain't got nothing else. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, you have to remember, we had no light boards, we had no animators, we had no desks, we had no offices, we had nothing, you know. So I was still at my desk at the music company uh, doing children's records and writing gummy bear stuff, you know. So um, eventually we sold those shows. I finally left the music company and now I'm a, you know, writer for television. Uh, I've never written for television. And... Um, and I remember we were sitting, forgive me, I'm rambling, but yes, uh, okay. we were sitting at NBC and uh, uh, Phyllis Tucker Vincent was heading up the children's programming at that point. And she said, well, this sounds really interesting. Now, who's going to story edit this series? Well, I thought, God, I hope Gary knows what's going on, because Gary had also moved over to TV animation. And Gary said, well, we, we kind of thought Jim would do it. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, cool. You know? sure. So it's like the old joke. Um, 
Last week I couldn't spell story ed- editor and now I are one, you know? Yes. <laughs> so next thing I knew I was story editing um, the series, working with professional writers. And, um, and I found that in trying to clean up their scripts and make everything homogenous, that I was learning what the script should look like. Not that I hadn't written scripts before, but not professional television scripts. Right. Anyway, I did two seasons of Gummy Bears. It was the number one show. And um, the rest is history. (laughs) Gummy Bears was just so inventive and just um, the the setting and everything. And you're you're right. It's like, okay, how do you get from this little gummy candy (laughs) to, to something that is completely unrelated but shares, not spelled the same way, for legal reasons, I'm sure, uh, the same name. And, you know, the, the, the characters were so fun. And I remember some of my favorite voice actors, uh, Rob Paulson particularly, you know, I can follow him. And I, that is the first thing I remember him doing. Now, I know he did other stuff. But yeah. in my mind, that was that was the first time I remember hearing Rob Yeah. Um, in that show and just... Uh, and I think there was a few other voice actors, uh, just the names escaped me offhand. And just the adventures that this this show went through, um, it, it kind of reminded me of Smurfs, but just in a much more adventurous sort of way. Yes. It, 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 it's similar in kind of like the, the adventure aspect, but just on a grander scale, just with the, the knights in the the... the you know, whole um, yes, Renaissance stuff. That it was just, it was just fantastic. That, that um, was an active, that was an active choice. Uh, when when we were asked, well, where are you going to put set this story? Well, Disney had taken all these fairy tales from Western Europe, and we said, well, let's do Western Europe. <laughs> yeah, you know? why not? So, Everything else there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, by the way, just I'm going to throw this in there just because I, I, I know you like the voices. Rob Paulson didn't come along until the second season. He played a character called Gusto Gummy. Yes. And we introduced him uh, at that point. But the 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 other six gummies uh, turned out to be, God bless them, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, June Foray. Yes. And Bill, uh, Bill Scott. And then we had Paul Winchell, who played Tigger. Uh, you know, in the cartoons, and um, a couple of uh, females uh, who, who had, you know, voice backgrounds, and it, it, I tell you, it was it was a joy to go to the recording sessions, because back then, because I was still new to everything, I was used to running the show as a, as a record producer, so Art Vitello, who was producing and directing the show, and I was story editing, we would go in and we would do all the voice uh, direction uh, on every episode. And that was so much fun because we got to talk directly to the actors and, you know, let's try it this way. And then when I got busy after that series, I didn't have time to go to the studio anymore. Uh, we actually hired people to be voice directors. And I felt kind of lonely. <laughs> I was going to say, that must have been heartbreaking. You know, doing it for st- that long and now you, you can't probably the little fun part of the day was to get involved in that part <laughs> exactly. you had to give it up how many times did you use june foray through all the different series oh you're so funny 
Uh, June Foray came in and did Grammy Gummy for us, mm-hmm. and she stayed on the series right through to the last Gummy Bear episode that was produced. So I assume that was 65 episodes, uh, 65 half hours in right. total. Um, but then but did you bring her into DuckTales as well? She did. She played... Uh, Ma Beagle. played Ma Beagle, uh, of the, the mother of the Beagle Boys, and she played Magic of Dispel, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And, no, Mrs. Beakley was Joni Gerber. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> but June Foray, you know, I mean, she has a million and one credits, and I was just tickled that it's like, here's my first television series, and I've got Rock and Bullwinkle out there. Uh, I got to tell you, it was, they were so much fun, and Bill Scott... I, I, again, I, I, I wish he was still around. He he actually died right after our first season wrapped. But um, Bill was not only the voice of Bullwinkle and George of the Jungle and Tom Slick and all these things, but he wrote commercials for Quaker Oats and whatnot. And um, I hey, would get... Watch me pull this a rabbit out of my hat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And That's I... not a rabbit, Wookie. <laughs> Oops, wrong wrong hat. hat. <laughs> and I remember just wanting to chat with him. And uh, I would just, I finally got him cornered in the lobby of the recording studio. And I just, it was my chance. I just started gushing. I, I became a fanboy. And I was like, Bill, I got to tell you, I grew up with Rocky and Bullwinkle. We had to, when we went to school, we had to talk about what episodes were on Rocky and Bullwinkle and how funny they were. And I said, and you're just, you're a genius. And I'm just so tickled that you're on this show and blah, blah, blah. And I finally, you know, sort of slapped myself and said, shut up. I'm sorry, Bill. And Bill was so sweet. He put his arm around me and he said, Jim, you know, no one ever killed the cat by giving it too much cream. (laughs) Like, okay. Great. I will gush. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That had to have been something else. Um, uh, so when, from there, so the Disney afternoon started coming together after that. Was, you, start, yeah. you moved on. Um, DuckTales, I think, was the next one. Yes. Followed by Tailspin, Darkwing Duck, Goof Troop. Yeah. Etc. So working on uh, Gummy Bears, the shows I just mentioned, DuckTales and Tailspin, as these things started getting going, did you realize that you guys had something special? You know, how how wonderful these shows were becoming? You know, or you, okay, let's, let's try and figure out what, you know, what we're doing next. Oh, no, no. It, what you're asking is so smart and so on the money. You know, when you're in the thick of things, you're so busy doing what you're supposed to do, trying to come up with new ideas, correcting mistakes on scripts, bringing talent in. I mean, you're just so busy that you don't really have time to say, God, we're geniuses, you know? (laughs) (laughs) We had no time because from the time that we turned something over to Japan to be animated, it would then take six months for it to be storyboarded uh, i was storyboarded in in uh, california but then it was all animated backgrounds painted everything overseas and then it was shipped back to us so it wasn't like we were doing sitcoms where you tape it one weekend and then you see it on the air the following week or so you know 
we had no idea if we, what we were doing was good or not. We were just doing it because we liked it and it pleased us. So uh, I, I remember Art Vitello uh, s- said to me, Jim, are, are we being Disney? <laughs> and I said, Art, the fact that we are Walt Disney Television Animation and the fact that we are doing television shows with Walt's name on them means, yeah, we're, we're doing Walt Disney. Is it something everyone's seen before? No, it isn't, you know, no. but let's, you know, let's just do it. <clears throat> so I was very fortunate that I was the senior creative person at Disney TV animation. And so I was there right from the start when we sat at a card table because we didn't have any office space, you know, <laughs> and, you know, we were developing we were developing shows around a coffee table. It was just it was a card table. It was silly almost. And lo and behold, next thing I know, we have two floors of a building filled up now with animators and, you know, voice people and, and people are cutting scripts and timing sheets. And just it was like, wow, we're doing a lot of stuff here. And of course, everybody's happy because they're working. But the you asked this already, and I'm going to answer it, is like, well, then what do we do next? Well, we always had these creative meetings every Wednesday where we would sit down and say, oh, I have an idea. What if we do Jiminy Cricket sells uh, sneakers? I don't know, you know, just anything. And um, eventually, one of us would come up with an idea. We would sit down with an artist, do up all these boards, make a pitch, and go in and pitch the show to the to the, the bosses, you know, the head honchos uh, over on the lot. And they'd look at it and go, okay, run with it. And then we'd run with it. And then while that team is running with it, the other team is finishing up their series. And it's like, what am I going to come up with? Oh, I know. How about we do? <laughs> and it just, it just kind of flip-flopped like that. There was all, something always in development and something always in production. And uh, it was a really exciting time. Uh, it had to have been. Um, like I said, it, it's some of the most wholesome and just well-done television, even this side of, of, of everything, it, it, it still, it, it may not be as adventurous as a lot of the, what the kids are exposed to now, but it's still good. It, it, and it's <laughs> something that you don't have to be afraid of, you know, uh, showing someone in, in, you know, worrying about, okay, what is this appropriate age appropriate and this and that it, it just, uh, it, it was just such, such good stuff. <laughs> um, I, I have a bunch of the, the, I have four, the four collections of DuckTales on DVD uh-huh. and my kids still watching and they enjoy it. The, the original DuckTales, um, Yes, thank you. <laughs> how, did, how did you come up with that? I mean, I don't know how much you were involved in the, in the creation, the birth of that show. Um, but how did that one come about? Because I'd be interested. I would have some. No, it's another great question. Yell, one of my friends yelling at me. Don't ask. Oh, who's okay. yelling? Uh, one, one of my friends, I uh, co host this show with me, Matt Leonard, is a huge um, DuckTales fan. So I would, like I said, I would be amiss if I didn't ask how did, you know. If, yeah. How did that show come about? Yeah, it's another great question. Um, because we had um, 
at our disposal all kinds of books and properties and stuff. You have to remember, I came from the consumer products end of the business where they did comics and they did toys and they did children's records and, you know, all the ancillary properties. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to see all kinds of stuff that, um, you know, was owned by Disney. And so at one point, I think, and again, this wasn't me, so I'm not trying to take credit for it. But at one point, uh, somebody said, why don't we take those really great Donald Duck stories, which were by Carl Barks, and uh, turn that into a TV show? And lo and behold, that's exactly what got developed, and that's when what became DuckTales. And, um, and sure enough, they got writers, they got story editors, everybody's working on this show. And at this point, I had been asked to leave Gummy Bears after two successful seasons. And I was just frantic. It's like, what am I going to do? And, and my boss, Gary Kreisel, said, go do DuckTales. I said, oh, okay. Well, it turned out they didn't want me to just do DuckTales. That what they wanted was a five-parter. Uh, and as you know, watching the, you know, the Disney afternoon, you would get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And that was a five-parter. It was a one-week episode. Yeah. Right? And they said, so write it as five episodes, but make sure we can cut it together into a two-hour movie. <laughs> okay. Sure. And, and so even though all these shows had been written and you know recorded and whatnot, the first thing that anyone ever saw of DuckTales on television was my movie. Yeah. So I became sort of the the miniseries turns into television movie guy. And I ended up doing at least two or three others after that. And uh, it was a really exciting time because uh, you had to be clever enough to, this has to stand alone as an episode, but it also has to blend with this one and then they all have to cut together. So it was it was challenging, but a lot of fun. So kind of like what Marvel does with their movies now <laughs> is what you were doing back then with the... <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so moving forward, though, what's your take? Have you seen any of the new DuckTales? And how do you feel? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make it like a, a bad comparison, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's got to be strange to see DuckTales, you know, coming back and for kids to, to still watch. Um, yeah. It's reinvention. I really admire the guys that are make, doing the series. I'm, I am um, sad to say I've not watched the series. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of how they redesigned it, but I know it's popular. I know they've been putting a lot of other characters in the show. So I applaud them for what they're doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's fair enough. And uh, yeah, they, they have drawn so much inspiration from, uh, Disney afternoon and whole that they've pulled in, um, segments from gummy bears, Chippendales, rescue Rangers, uh, goofy made a cameo in it, Darkwing duck. Um, so they, they have drawn a lot of that of the original core of Disney afternoon into that show. So, right. it, you know, these are people that again, grew up watching your work and now they've come and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, it's now their work. Yeah. So, um, when you, I was going to say, so now you, you went from writing and then into the production, into producing end. So what was that transition like? Oh, uh Again, you ask a lot of really good questions. I mean, I so tried. much of what, no, no, no. So much of what we do is just 
doing it. And, you know, at a certain point, because uh, I created Tailspin with Mark Zaslov. Um, Again, another brilliant show. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love Tailspin. And unfortunately, near the end, I think Mark just kind of, you know, had kind of gotten tired of it. Uh, and he wanted to go do something else. I said, don't you leave me. I need you to finish finish the series. But in, at any rate, I ended up being called the supervising producer, which is there's 20,000 different producers, you know, in Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, because I was sort of the head guy, uh, I got the supervising producer credit, as well as being a story editor and a writer on it. Uh, and Mark became a producer on the episodes that he story edited and wrote. So, again, they're, they're kind of loose terms that get thrown around. Um, it's it's kind of like if I say Art Vitello is a great animation producer. Yeah, but he's mainly he's directing them and he's the brains behind it. You know, he's he's producing it and I'm the story editor, but I'm also producing it. You know? so it's it's all kind of just funny titles, you know. Yeah, it, it, stuff that just gets it's thrown around. Um, so eventually you did leave uh, Disney Animation, um, but you ended it, did coming back to do some stuff um, in your freelance work. How did they come up calling back to you, doing stuff like Book of Pooh and uh, a show that was another excellent one, House of Mouse. Uh, I think you even did one JoJo Circus. Yes. House of Villains is a very popular show in my house come October. <laughs> well, you know, part of it is because I'd made a name for myself at TV animation. <clears throat> new people would come in and, and they would say, well, <clears throat> we need to get some freelance writers in here and do these things. Who should we call? Or we need to develop a new idea. Well, who should we call? Oh, call Jim Magon, you know. So I would get these calls from these um you know, new executives, we called them baby suits. And uh, they would say, um, what, we'd like you to come in and we'd like to pick your brains, you know, for ideas for a new show. And I'd say, how about Napoleon Lafayette, the two dogs from Aristocast, they get into a lot of trouble. How about Jiminy Cricket? And I pitched them like five things just like that on the phone. And they said, wow, those are great ideas. I said, they're already in your files. Why don't you spend the time looking at what's already been developed? Yeah. You know? So on the one hand, it was a little bit annoying because they were sort of fishing for free stuff. But on the other, you know, there were people that said, I remember Jim. Yeah, I'd love to have him on the show. So I, I was very fortunate that I got to write, even though it was maybe just one or two scripts on these different Disney shows. Oh, golly, I, I wrote some things that were r really sweet, like direct-to-video things, and uh, had a ball writing them. And then they never got produced. It was like... Okay, give me my check. Bye. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, so, yeah, it's actually it's been a while since I've done anything for Disney. So, so somewhere in a filing cabinet or in a hard drive or wherever the, the medium has ended up, there's some brilliant scripts that really? are just waiting to see the see the light of day. Because mm -hmm. as many people say, nothing ever dies at Disney. It just gets filed away and eventually comes back out. Yeah, exactly. We shall so hopefully, see. yeah. Uh, hopefully they, they come, they pull that file out and write you a bigger check for it. Exactly. 
I, I, I want to move ahead now to something that I, I absolutely love that you were involved in. It better not be goofy. It, it is... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead. I, I know it. Go ahead. Adventures of the Little Mermaid. <laughs> oh, yes. I was no. never involved with that show. <laughs> no, I know. It was the first thing that popped in the... A goofy movie. Um, yes, I, I forget what episode this was, but I, I, I did a review of the movie. Um, it, was, it was around, I guess, the 25th anniversary, right? 25 years now, I think. Um, just saying how, I think, on the surface, people hearing a Goofy movie expecting, oh, it's, it's just an hour and a half of Goofy being Goofy. And just saying, no, this this movie is so much more, particularly emotional level-wise. Um it, it reminds a lot of people feel different ways about it. for me it's the relationship between me and my brother I, I i feel to me a lot of connections in that um and how he was always trying to look out for me and, and experience new things and i was growing up and being a teenager and it, it was i kept on pushing back and just in now in hindsight i realized that you know he was he had the best intentions and always tried to you know Show me things that I was unaware of out in the world. How did you get involved in a goofy movie? You know, Matthew, honestly, I'm just at some point, I'm just going to say you're asking all the best questions and uh, and I have no answers for you. Um, (laughs) No, no. Here's the thing. Um, There was a TV series called Goof Troop and it was in development before I got involved. And it was called Goof Troop because supposedly Goofy was a scoutmaster and he took all these little goofy kids out camping and they were the Goof Troop. And then it changed to this and then it changed to that and then it changed to this. Well, by the time I came aboard, they had decided we're going to make this a sitcom. And I never for years knew why we called it Goof Troop. (laughs) But anyway, so I was I was uh, I was doing development and I was the story editor on Goof Troop and um, we were supposed to do 65 of those. Great. Wonderful. And and along the way, we kept learning more and more about the character and how we can play the two boys against each other and whatnot. And mm-hmm. it the show got richer and richer. And finally, um, I was just looking at some of my old diaries uh, entries uh, at that time. And I was surprised to see that I was ended up working on the Goofy movie treatment at the same time I was working on Goof Troop, the TV series. And I ended up writing a, an episode called Have Yourself a Goofy Little Christmas, which was about a father and a son that go out to go have a nice Christmas out in the woods in the cabin. And they end up next door to Pete and his family. And it's just, you know, everything goes wrong. And... Um, uh, I always felt like that was sort of the pilot, you know, for the for the movie as mm-hmm. to, you know, two families going out on vacation and and all the trouble they can get into. So, um, you know, they had said to me, we want you to write this goofy movie. And I said, great, except for two problems. It's a lose lose situation. I said, number one, if the movie's a success it's be, everyone will say it's because Goofy is so good. 
And if it's a failure, it's because I'm such a horrible writer, you know, so <laughs> it was no way to win. But um, the truth is, I, I started uh, developing that. I started renting every vacation movie I could get my hands on. I read Dave Barry's books about being on vacation. I just sort of doused myself in, uh, you know, traveling across the continent. And um, we went through a couple of directors. We went through, you know, some, some staff changes and whatnot. But basically, I spent, it, it turns out, uh, just over a year uh, writing on the Goofy movie. I had a little office. Well, actually, it was a pretty big office. It was a corner office uh, on a floor where there was nobody. <laughs> it was an empty floor. Oh, and I geez. would just sit there and type away. And um, they eventually brought in Kevin Lima. And uh, he started bringing in his people. And they started storyboarding. And boom, you know, all of a sudden, it, it was becoming a movie. Wow, that's neat. And... Um, Oh, great. We're going to start casting. We're going to start recording. This is so much fun, you know? And then I was told, okay, Jim, you're off the show. Bye. What? Oh, no. we It's all written. You're done. Bye. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. So it was a little odd because I never saw a Goofy movie until long after I'd left Disney. Uh, I left Disney in uh, December of 1993, and I don't think the movie came out till. 95? I think it was 95, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, by that point, it was like, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. I haven't been on the lot for over a year. And uh, lo and behold, it was like, oh, my gosh, look at this thing. You know, and every time I go to conventions now, I hear people say the same thing that you just said. And it was funny. I don't know if you could hear it in your voice, but you were talking about your brother and how he took care of you. And I hear this from other people saying, I could never talk to my dad. I could never relate to my mom. I couldn't, you know, there were all these sort of family problems. And then we saw this movie and it was kind of like the little key that unlocked, you know, uh, the passageway to uh, uh, a more full, you know, family relationship. So, uh, you know, rather than people saying, oh, <laughs> Goofy, he was really funny. I, I get a lot of from the heart kind of stories about that. So I'm tickled, you know. And like I said, that that movie, there is so much heart in it. It is, I think, substantially more than anyone ever would predict or or think. Um, I know Katzenberg had a lot of um, supposed influence. I don't know how much he he spoke to you about yes. it. Yes. Um, in, in developing the story, or yeah. Well, here again, you know, <clears throat> maybe this isn't stuff you need to hear all, but. Uh, when Please. TV animation was, was first started, it was always understood that the, the stars uh, you know, at Disney, Mickey, Donald, Goofy, were not going to be on television. Forget it. You know, they're, they're theatrical characters. So we, we always went, mm, okay. And then when we developed Rescue Rangers, we had these two little mice called Kit Colby and Colt Cheddarson. And... You know, Jeffrey Katzenberg looked at it and said, nobody knows who these characters are. And Michael Eisner said, why don't we put someone in there that they would know, like, oh, I don't know, Chip and Dale. And I was like, yes, we can use Chip and Dale. And that sort of opened the doors to we can start to bring in other characters now. So, uh, you know, first 
we had uh, DuckTales, which only had Donald in it very, very briefly. Um, I was say that he, he had a very limited amount of exposure to uh, in DuckTales. Right. And then we had Goof Troop, which was about Goofy, which is great, you know. And so you can see that the characters are starting to move into television. And, and I think uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, as I remember it, said, I want to do something with about a dad and his offspring going on vacation because I had a problem with my daughter and I didn't know how to communicate with her. I didn't I, I couldn't figure out what to say or what to do. And we just got in the car and started driving. And he said, I can't tell you where it happened or when it happened or how it happened. But after that vacation, we had bonded. And I thought, that's what we're going to do, you know. So when you watch the cartoon, there's a lot of funny stuff in it. But at the heart of it, it's like Goofy doesn't want his son to end up in the electric chair because <laughs> he's a troublemaker, you know. And that's just a common parental you know, terror. Oh, my kid's going to go to jail. Oh, no. You know, my so, wife and I talk about that about our one son all the time. I was like, oh, every day at the, he's going to be he's going to kindergarten. And it's like, all right. Every day the principal is going to be calling us because of his behavior. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know if you realize that, especially with the character of Max, why did you bring Goofy into this situation max was a character that showed up in one or two goofy shorts back back then he wasn't known as max though uh, goof jr or something like that and then uh you know he's one of the few characters that has grown up through disney time yeah um and, and the the maturity of the character in in goof troop particularly and then later on, uh, extremely goofy movie. And then uh, twice upon a Christmas, he's coming out of um, college and stuff. It just—it's one of those rare characters that you you kind of watch grow up, even though he's slowly growing up over forty some years, fifty some years. But <laughs> fifty years now, it took him to become a teenager. Exactly. Well, you know, what's interesting is there were cartoons that had little Mac. Uh, Goofy Jr., you know, or Geef, I think they called him. Mm. And I looked at those cartoons and said, oh, okay, he's like a little goofy and, and whatnot. And, um, but he wasn't the character that we were looking for. We wanted someone a little more realistic. And um, so when we did Goof Troop, he was in elementary school or junior high, maybe. But when we did a Goofy movie, he's clearly in high school at that point. Yeah. And um, I, again, I have to apologize. I've not seen an extremely goofy movie, but I think he's in college at that point. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's just entering college. You're not missing much. Oh. <laughs> Where a goofy movie is, a extremely goofy movie is not. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, 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 it falls in line of a number of the, the direct-to-market uh, 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 sequels, um, and we'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay, <laughs> as kindly as possible. Um, yeah. Um, that you and you mentioned that it took you a while to see a goofy movie, and I, I believe I read somewhere that Rob Paulson was the same thing. That it took him a while till he actually ended up seeing the full thing. I discovered it several years later when it came to VHS. I was in a CVS of all places, and see it on the the back shelf there, and I go, oh, Goofy had a movie. 
Oh, okay. I'll buy that. Went home and watched it one late night and sitting there in the room by myself and watching this movie and just go. And like I said, completely dumbfounded with how wonderful and how emotional this, this movie was. I, I was expecting more. Okay. It's a goof troop type of movie. Okay. It's goofy and max. Okay. It's an hour long goof troop. Yeah. And it, it's, Really, it isn't. In the, I mean, it takes such a left turn. It, it starts with Goof Troop and just takes a complete left turn and goes to places that it, it just you would not expect um, <laughs> from these. And the, and, and the insane amount of Disney references throughout the movie is also just um, it, it, you know, just just so many great little nuggets here and there. And again, I don't know how much you got involved in any of that stuff or was not involved that was beyond you and that that was um left to the direction staff but um yeah spectacular movie um well, you know what i i can agree with you and i'll tell you why because my involvement with it stopped at a certain point and then it you know the production team ran with it did a fantastic job with it and even to this day when i watch it it's like oh, i wish i'd written that <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. It's really that wonderful. Uh, and I guess um, my next question is, how much from your original treatment to the final product, you know, did, did they like butcher it up a lot? Or, you know, did they keep it fairly, you know, kept at least one or two words of yours in there? No, no, no. Uh, again, you're asking great questions. I, um, I actually have a box over here of, you know... <laughs> a big storage box absolutely filled with nothing but drafts of the goofy movie it's packed and so you know i wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and changed things practically every day and um it's interesting because i remember when kevin lima finally came on the project he would talk to me about oh i saw this documentary on on fly fishing last night on National Geographic. And they go through this whole routine, you know, one, two o'clock, 10 o'clock, you know. And I say, yeah, that sounds really cool. And and then I tell him, you know, I saw this thing on bungee jumping and I think Goofy would be really good at that. So we would write all of these scenes and they would get boarded and put up. And I just thought, this looks really great. It's gone next week. (laughs) Did something better, you know. So, um, and again, I mean, you feel like you should be saying, wait a minute, I worked really hard on that. It's like, no, that's how it happens. It's a very collaborative uh, uh, process. And I remember saying to Kevin, uh, just as I was leaving Disney, we went out and had lunch. And I said, Kevin, I, I know you're going to go on and do great things. And he and he has. And I said, if, if we ever get the chance to work together, I, I would love that opportunity. Uh, but I said, I, I, I feel kind of bad because so much of what I did on this movie has been rearranged and altered and, you know, and, and beautifully so. And, and I said, and I feel kind of bad because, gee, I, you know, you guys came up with so much great stuff on this. And he said, Jim, you've got to realize something is that, yeah, we did all this stuff, but we were standing on your shoulders while we were doing it. You know, <laughs> I said, oh, OK, <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that, that makes me feel a little better about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now I can sleep nights, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Again, fantastic. So my daughter has this question, and I, w- I want to see your take on it. What's what her happened name? To Ro- huh? My, What's my daughter, name? Paige. Paige, good. Okay. But my kids love this movie. Um, you know, even my, my five and four-year-old. My daughter's 14. And um, at some point, I showed it to her, and she fell in love with it. And then she showed her brothers, and they love it. And um, it, it it's become just you know something that that's now it's moving through the generations, you know th- that they're showing each other and, yeah. and falling in love. But my daughter has one question that she keeps on <laughs> coming up, and I don't have an answer for her. What happens? What happens to Roxanne? <laughs> well, the fans got hold she's of her. Such a cool she's, character. Oh, she's wonderful, and. Um, you know, when we did Rescue Rangers, everybody fell in love with Gadget because she was so yeah. cute. Well, the same thing happened with uh, Roxanne. I'm not going to tell you to go search in the Internet for pictures of her, but they're out there. Oh, and, my. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think please. a lot of people would love to see her return somehow. But, I mean, I don't know how that would happen. I, I read a rumor once um, that in Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas um max's girlfriend which was mona in the final production was actually supposed to be roxanne mm. um and they couldn't supposedly according to what i read was that the budget wise um they couldn't produce that quality of a character particularly okay. her hair <laughs> so yes. um i think it's it's actually the same voice actress and and i apologize that i, I don't remember um her name but uh, yeah, it's the, I think they kept the same voice actress, but they they had to change the character for because yeah. they, they, they didn't Martin. have a budget. <laughs> they didn't have a budget. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I I remember being in the studio with her when she was doing uh, some of her early lines and just thinking, um, I'm so tickled that she's playing this part because I'm in love with her. Absolutely. I will leave my family right now and run off with her. <laughs> Kelly Martin. Del- delightful actress. Kelly Martin. Yeah, she was, uh, I can't even remember the name of the TV show, but she was a regular on a on a family, you know, feel-good show. Uh, Life Goes On? Possibly. I... I, I'm looking at her um, IMDb profile now, and there's, she's done a lot, a lot of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, she's such a sweetheart. Uh, it, it, she does that role so well, and it just makes all the nerds feel like, oh, you can actually get this really nice girl. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it, it, that's what I think is so cute about the movie is that you know you could see Max is so worried that he didn't impress her, and she says, "But you did, Max." He says, "What are you talking about?" She says, "That first time you laughed and you went yuck." You know, and it was like it was when you were your your dad that you caught my heart. You know, the thing he feared the most was the thing yeah. that she loved the most about him. Exactly. And she's you know, she's just the cutest dang thing. So I can't tell you where they end up. I, I've seen pictures of them as a married couple and having children. But that's <laughs> not what we wrote. <laughs> um. And oh, now, can I tell you a quick story? I, again, please. I don't know how long your, your podcast is, but, oh, you froze. Go ahead. Oh, no, very simple. Um, 
we had these different uh, animators, uh, storyboard people and designers working on the movie. And that little corner office I was in, pretty soon the whole floor filled up with people drawing like crazy. It was it was wonderful. And the gal who was doing the design for Roxanne had her face and her hair and everything looked fine. She just couldn't figure out what outfit should should she wear, you know, that will be her sort of signature outfit, mm. which turned out to be uh, shorts rolled up and the sort of a teal, light teal colored, you know, I don't know what you call a polo shirt or whatever. And um, the, st- the story goes, <laughs> my family rarely came into the studio, but they happened to come in that day. And my daughter, Robin, who at that time must have been about 10, and she went over to Carol uh, Holiday and uh, said, what are you doing? You know, she said, oh, I'm, I'm designing this character. And she looked at Robin and said, that's what I'm looking for. And Robin had on shorts, rolled up, <laughs> the teal shirt, and it's like, Shh, there, you know? And that that's what that's how Roxanne got designed. <laughs> oh, that, that's amazing. So you really, it is really like you're, you know, you're, you're putting your family into the movie, or you, you, you know, you, you, you know. Um, yeah. Oh, that, that's, a, whole, that's a great story. This is a horrible story. I tell it all the time. Yeah. And I, 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 I tell it not because it's my joke, but because it's Kevin Lima's joke. Uh, in the movie, Kevin Lima and Brian Pimentel, who was the head of the story department, uh, are actually in the film, make little quick cameos like three times throughout the film. And, um, and I remember watching it thinking, oh, look, there's Kevin and Brian. And I finally said to Kevin after the movie, I said, you couldn't get me in there? What's what's? going on you know yeah because you are in there i said where he says you know that scene where they're talking about school's ending and the boys start flinging jock straps at each other and they're singing no more jim no more jim no more this is that you no oh, more jeez <laughs> and i laughed i said okay you win that's it fine thank you uh something else uh, i guess there's just so many gems and stuff and and I personally have always felt that this that movie I don't know they they can give it the Broadway treatment because between the music the emotional the, the you know the highs and lows of everything would actually play out fantastically on stage be a little tricky to get the whole travel and you know them going down a waterfall but hey you could do a stampede in Lion King you could figure anything exactly. out exactly so I I I would be in seeing a goofy movie the Broadway musical yes. But, um, exactly. Yeah, um, I guess your um, your blog that I was looking at is just got some fantastic stuff to it. Oh, uh, particularly all the, the historical it. stuff. Yeah, my well, my plan, and I, I know you and I talked about this before you started recording. Um, I asked you about the uh, Hyperion Historical Alliance, the HHA. Mm-hmm. And nobody knows about it except people that are in it. <laughs> but um, it's a it's a non-Disney, Disney organization of people who are basically writers and, you know, filmmakers and whatnot. And they dig up old footage and they show it. And it's a, it's a lot of fun, but it's a very small group. And um, so <clears throat> they love hearing all of these old stories about, you know, the nine old men and all, and, oh, gee, they were going to do this one about little cube people. And 
a lot of interesting stuff that the average person would be like, oh, okay, whatever. But, but um, the, um, I think that's what prompted me to start writing the blogs is uh, I eventually want to do a, a series of books of my time at Disney. You know, the first one would be about the record company and then gummy bears and then ducks and then, you know. So um, I started writing some things and putting them online just to see how it went, you know. And lo and behold, people actually tuned in and looked at it and said, yeah, cool. So I, I need to get off my butt and start doing it again. <laughs> yeah, last thing I saw up there, you had a bunch of old stuff from the Polynesian. And you said, oh, oh next I'm going to do Tomorrowland. And uh, Polynesian's one of my favorite res uh, resorts at Walt Disney World. So seeing those original pictures, <laughs> and I was scrolling through, and there's the picture of the, the hula dancer. And I said, oh, well, she's probably about 70 now. And then I just happened to see your comment underneath. Oh, well, she's got, um, you know, probably has uh, a dozen grandchildren. <laughs> it's like we had the same thought on exactly. <laughs> the same picture. Exactly. And, um, and you know, it's, it, it's fantastic stuff. It, not everybody has to get those things. But I know that there are Disney people that will get them. <laughs> and, and it's like, fine, I'm writing for you. <laughs> And I was and I was just on a, I was on another podcast the other day and we were talking about the the Disney community and just how um, especially when it comes to Disney stuff we get it like you know depending on on your level of the fandom but for the most part you know between the parks and everything anything related to it and and you know bringing stuff from the past forward and, or looking at things in retrospect everyone kind of gets it it's it's just such a unifying um, community or family of uh, enthusiasts that yeah. uh, just just share this common bond of of all things Disney in one form to another. I mean, I've even did a, a show on how Disney. And this came actually from a, a college course um, that professor told me. You know, I want you to talk about Disney as a lifestyle. Disney as a lifestyle. Okay, and, and I thought about it. I'm like, you know, as defining as um, you know, what defines a lifestyle? You know, food, language, um, style of dress. My shirt, I got. I wear stuff with Disney characters on it. Right. You know, middle-aged man with Disney stuff uh, that I, I wear, and um, you know, go to the parks and there's all different types of like, Dole whips. You know, is is very much a Disney food, and, and they are, we we all know things taste better when it's shaped like a mouse. Uh, and in music, you know, all the you know, going back to your early days of, of the Disney music is just it's very Disney, you know, in this type of stuff. It, it is truly a a lifestyle, life culture um, that people find themselves in or as part of, and you you put so much into that and you you've helped create so much of that that's you know disney a lot of people don't realize how you know disney now it's hard to imagine 30 years ago almost did not exist anymore yeah and a, a few Things happened that thankfully completely changed the company around. Um, 
And you know, it has now led to where Disney is now that, you know, oh, it's Disney this and Disney that. And, you know, it, 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 it for a time, particularly in the 80s, it, like I said, almost did not exist. Um, but there, it was it was such a period of rebirth for the company. And, yeah. you know, you had definitely not a small part <laughs> in 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 that. Um, so, again, thank you. Thank you for everything you did. Oh. Golly, thanks. Um, where where can people find your your blogs and your? Aren't in you your, the best guy ever? You are the best guy ever. <laughs> if you go to um, oh lord, www.jimmagon all one word dot com, uh, you'll find my blog there. Um, that's J Y M N M A G O N, and um. Yeah, that's probably a good place to start. <laughs> I also have a Facebook page for Jim Magon and also one that's more professional called Jim Magon Presents, uh, which is a Facebook page. So you can try looking at those if you want. Oh, I'll check those out because I didn't find those. I, I did find your website. Oh, good. Your blog. Um, and when this uh, pandemic finally ends, maybe I'll get a chance to start touring again and teaching which is one of the things that uh, is my bucket list let's go to barcelona and teach yeah let's go to germany and teach yeah yes and i get my travel done that way <laughs> oh excellent well, that's a good way to travel it's a good way to see the world and and help you know teach and bring you know your experiences to the future of the entertainment business i i would like to think that someday someone will say do you remember those other nine old men? <laughs> and I'll be part of that. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start championing that too now. You know, oh, good. Good. Yeah. The new nine tell, old men. Tell them I need to become a Disney legend and we'll be fine. That's great. Um, I, 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 there's there's got to be a spot for you. Oh, well, hopefully while I'm still alive. So um, <laughs> I uh, I really appreciate this, Matthew. And, and I, I'm looking here. It's. Here it's 9.42, which means it's 12.42 where you are. Uh, yeah, it's getting there. So, oh. I'm sorry? I said, let's say adieu. And thank you so much um, for for coming on the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll have to hear some more of these wonderful rantings and rampings. Blings of rampagings, yeah. Your, your wonderful stories. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been <laughs> thank a you, lot Jim. of fun. All right. Thank you for listening to part one of our Disney afternoon discussion. Be sure to join in next week for part two whenever I talk to the amazing, talented Tad Stones about his involvement in the Disney afternoon. But in the meantime, join the conversation. Tell me what are some of your favorite Disney afternoon moments on the Facebook group, facebook.com slash Disney Marvel's podcast, or the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Disney Marvel's podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Disney Marvel's podcast and on the Twitter just at Disney Marvel's. If you have any suggestions or want to reach out to the show, you can email us at DisneyMarvels at gmail.com. 
You can also leave a voice message through the Anchor app and or website. Links to those are in the show notes. I want to thank you for your time, especially the 100th episode. Thank you for 100 episodes of your time. If you're a new listener, welcome. I hope you're enjoying it. Please go back. Listen to some of them. Don't have to listen to all the old ones. If you've been here halfway through, that's great. Whatever point, thank you. Thank you so much because this is only possible because of you, because of the listeners. I do this for you, and it means so much whenever I get your responses and just hearing how much you enjoy the show. Um, Tell other people, like I always say, tell other people about the show. Keep the family growing. Let more people know the bigger the family. Walt Disney always believed in a big Disney family, and I believe in a big Disney family as well. So we're a giant, wonderful community, and I just love to see it keep growing and growing all over these this time. Also, just take another moment. Make sure you uh, rate the show on iTunes. We have a whole bunch of five-star ratings right now. I, I'm I can't I'm beyond words on how much you know you've been able to. Just it's only five stars. Everybody's been giving me five stars, and I love it. Um, I, I I could not ask for more. Um, just if you haven't gone there yet, take a moment, go on there, give us a five star rating or whatever you feel we deserve, and uh, make sure you subscribe to the show while you're at it, so this way you always know when new episodes are posted. Also consider becoming a premium subscriber to the show. Help the show out. You can do this over at anchor.fm slash disneymarvel slash support or you can find our Patreon page and sign up and get some neat little things. Or you can also, don't forget to go to the Disney Marvel shop to be able to get some swag, to get some t-shirts, some pillows, we, we got a whole bunch of things uh, going on. Masks, everyone needs masks nowadays, get one that has the Disney, uh, the Disney Marvel logo on it, it's really cool. Uh, I wear one myself all around the place and a lot of people ask me about it. It's, it's really cool. Um, you can find those links in the show notes. Whatever you're facing out there nowadays, no matter how difficult it is, and I, I know it's not, it's not, it hasn't been easy. Stay strong. Believe in yourself. Believe in the light that is inside you. Look deep inside and embrace that light. Embrace it. It'll warm and it will just shine for the world to see for the world to see how amazing you are and how special you are never forget that never give up never give in be your own hero and you too can accomplish wonderful and amazing things I'd like to end this show with a quote from Walt Disney himself There's really no secret about our approach. We keep moving forward, opening new doors and doing new things because we're curious and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. We're always exploring and experimenting. We call it Imagineering and blending of creativity, imagination, the technical know-how. That again is Walt Disney. Thank you again, everyone. Thank you again so much for 100 wonderful, wonderful episodes. And I'll see you next time.